I applaud the regulators because they really they view themselves as being there to assist people with compliance. Products manufacturing and cultivation can co-locate, but again, you need two separate. You need a registration from medical and an adult use license in order to do that. Welcome to Weed Buds Radio in the studio with Rye and Matt. Check one, two. Rye, what do we have in store for our excellent podcasters today? Well, we're going to follow up on Nucleus One's emerging main market event. We have Hannah King, attorney for Drummond Woodsum. She is joining us to share a little bit about what she's going to be covering at this event. Yeah, so I think primarily the panel that I'm on is going to be talking about licensing. So we're going to be talking about what the state is expecting as part of the licensing applications. We're going to be talking about timelines for for applications and talking a little bit about the number of applications that have been submitted. Awesome. And so you're writing the applications, I don't want to say all yourself, but here at Drummond Woodsum, you guys are spearheading application writing, correct? Yeah. So we are supporting quite a few of our clients in their efforts to apply for state licenses for marijuana manufacturing, marijuana cultivation, and marijuana retail store licenses. Um, It's my understanding that uh, about 60% of the licenses applications that have been deemed complete in the state are folks that we're working with. That's fantastic. Now, why would somebody want to have yourself or a law firm behind them rather than try to fill out an application on their own? So although Maine's licensing process is not a competitive or a merit-based process, they are asking for a significant amount of relatively complicated documentation. So for example, when you submit a conditional license application for a retail store, you have to provide standard operating procedures for waste marijuana waste disposal, for transport of marijuana, for ensuring that unauthorized individuals don't access the premises. Um, you have to submit OSHA OSHA compliance safety plans, and all of these SOPs and safety plans have to um, align with Maine's regulatory regime. Um, So in my experience, it's a bit of a heavy lift, and it's helpful to have attorneys who are familiar with the laws and the regulations supporting you in that process. How many pages is a typical application? So it depends. The product manufacturing, particularly for inherently hazardous substances, tend to be the longest. But the applications, uh, the operating plans that are attached to the applications um, range from, in my experience, uh, 50 to 300 pages. Oh, my word. There's no way you could get me to do that alone. <laughs> it's, it's a heavy lift. In some, it's a heavy lift. So since we've talked last, I would say that there's been a lot of maturing in the main market, a lot of new opportunities, a lot of excitement. And speaking to Jacques at Nucleus One, there's a lot of confusion. And so do you mind talking about what are, what are some things that maybe people get confused about or might not be as easy as it seems when getting licensed? So I think there's a lot of confusion about timelines, about if I get a conditional license from the state, what does that mean? What can I do with that? Um, Everybody wants to know kind of, you know, and and also when it comes to licensing, if you get a cultivation license, what can you do with a cultivation license? Um, The question that I get all the time is, can a cultivation facility um, create pre-rolls or do you have to have a products manufacturing license for that? I mean, the, the answer to that question happens to be that pre-rolls are the only kind of value added product 
um, that a cultivation facility can produce because it's, it's, the state views it as packaging marijuana flower, um, which a cultivation facility is allowed to cultivate and package marijuana flower. So that's one of, I mean, one of the first things that people have to figure out when they're thinking about licensing is, what is my vision for my business? What do I want to do? And what licenses do I need to do that? And it's not always into now, if you run a retail store, you're applying for a retail store, that doesn't mean that you get to grow as well, right? You would need to fill out two applications on that point, and then if you wanted to make finished goods, a third one? So the licenses in Maine, you're right about that. The licenses in Maine are standalone based on type and location. So you've got retail licenses, cultivation licenses, product manufacturing licenses, testing lab licenses, and then there's a nursery license. Okay. And so if you wanted to, to operate two retail stores, for example, and they were in different locations, you would need two separate licenses to operate those two stores. If you wanted to, to, sell, to cultivate and sell marijuana, you would need two separate licenses, cultivation and retail. And that's true, too, even if the cultivation and the retail were located in the same place. Okay. Now... From my understanding of the like a caregiver's license in the state of Maine, you can you can have a, a small store in a small grow. And now will those individuals is there a different process? Are you gonna kinda have to start all over again for the adult use licensing? Yeah, so there's nothing about having a caregiver registration that would allow you to cultivate and sell adult use marijuana. They're entirely siloed systems. So you are, you would be as a as a caregiver, be able to co-locate a medical and adult use, but you would need to be a registered caregiver under the medical program, and then you would also would need an adult use license. The only licensure class that can't co-locate is retail stores. Medical and adult use retail stores cannot be under the same roof. Products manufacturing and cultivation can co-locate, but again, you need two separate. You need a registration for medical and an adult use license in order to do that. Interesting. For example, I was just in Las Vegas, and in one store, you walked in, and they asked you if you had a medical marijuana patient card, or if you were looking to just make a purchase. And there was two separate sections. One section was a line, was a much longer line for adult use. I whipped out my medical card, and I went in the very short line for medicinal. Is something like that similar to here, or are they separate buildings? That's interesting. So Nevada is the only other state besides Maine that has reciprocity. So Nevada is the only state that you could go to and use your Maine medical cards. That's what you're using. Okay. So, yeah, so Maine has decided, and actually yesterday up at the legislature, there were two proposals that would allow for some form of co-location similar to Nevada or Colorado's model. Those were rejected by the Veteran and Legal Affairs Committee. Um, They voted that those bills ought not to pass. Um, One was a a divided vote. So unless there is a change to the law, people are not going to be able to access medical marijuana and adult-use marijuana from the same storefront. If you want to purchase adult-use marijuana, you'll have to go to an adult-use store. If you want to use your patient card and access uh, medical marijuana, you'll have to go to a separate location. Interesting. Now, when you think of the state of Maine, I mean, there is, there's already some great retailers here. Do you foresee the adult use expanding the, the retail landscape for marijuana? Or do you think it's going to be a lot of the, the similar individuals that will take their medical programs and, and go to adult use? I'm just curious if if you see Maine being saturated, like with Vegas, for example, I feel like every block there's the liquor store and there's the marijuana dispensary. I know that there's some concern about that in Maine, and I just wanted your opinion. So I think one of the things about Maine that's a little bit different from other states 
which I think is going to kind of is going to essentially mean that we have a little bit of a slow rollout is the local opt-in. So in Maine, you cannot get an adult use marijuana license for for any class of licensure, but for retail as well, unless the municipality where you want to operate has um, amended its ordinance through its legislative process to allow that particular um, use. And so out of the 400 towns in Maine, 33 towns have opted in, and of those towns, probably uh, three-quarters have have opted in to allow um, retail stores. And then even within those towns, um, municipalities are putting in place ordinances that limit uh, where retail stores can be located. So, for example, one of the things that we see commonly, and you see this in South Portland and in Portland, are dispersal requirements. So you have to have 250 or 300 feet between retail stores. The reason for that is to um, is because these towns have made a policy decision that they don't want marijuana row, right. um, and so I do think that we, you know, I think towns are going to more towns are slowly going to opt in and come online. But I think at least initially, given the fact that there are probably only twenty five municipalities that are going to allow adult use retail stores, we aren't going to see the state flooded the first year. Sure, is that a is that a smaller number than you anticipated? You know, it's consistent with what I anticipated. We, um, and again, I think we're going to see more and more municipalities come online. It makes sense, and this is what we saw in Colorado, too, that the bigger municipalities opted in first, that the smaller municipalities sat back, watched to see how it rolled out, realized that it wasn't kind of the doomsday scenario that some people expected, realized that it was, you know, in a lot of cases it generated revenue, it was a job creator, and then kind of figure out where the issues that they want to address are, which tend to be security and, and odor, and then opt in. And so I'm not, I'm not surprised that the bigger towns with more capacity to regulate have, are kind of the first ones to step into this space, but I do anticipate as the next couple years go on, we're going to see more and more towns come online. Is is that something that's unique to Maine? Because I've heard a lot of discussions of either of opt-in versus opt-out. And I wasn't sure if other states, like everybody was in and then they could opt out, or if this is similar to what we're seeing across the country. So opt-in is unique to Maine, but what we are seeing kind of consistently across the country is a lot of discretion given to municipalities to figure out how this should look in their community and whether or not they actually want it. Perfect. Now, I don't know if you saw this. There was an article from the Chicago Tribune the other day that said uh, that our current president is not a big fan of cannabis and could potentially roll back some of the protections that are out there for the industry. Is that something that concerns you, or is that more of a talking point to get people involved uh, with policy in their communities? You know, I think in a lot of ways it's a talking point. So the only protection that currently exists at the federal level is a rider to um, the budget that's you know been included in every budget for a number of years now that prohibits the federal government from using federally appropriate or, or congressionally appropriated resources to prosecute state legal marijuana businesses is ultimately the effect of it. Um, uh, President Trump's last budget proposal didn't include the rider, but it was included later on anyway. I do anticipate that we'll see that rider um, on this budget. So I, you know, I, 
I'm not as concerned about it as a lot of people are. I mean, we're not, we're not a politics show, but we talk a lot about policy. And it's something that I know a lot of people have reached out to me asking, well, is, is this legitimate? Do we really need to be concerned? We're investing millions of dollars into our facilities. How does this come out? And I said, well, you know, there's, I think the biggest part of this is we just need to get out there. You know, we've had so many guests on the show that they say, go to your local offices. Like, they want to know that collaboration is crucial to to make an effective market. And the reality is, to the extent people are investing in adult use, there are no protections at the federal level. That that budget rider that we just talked about... um, whose name has changed. It was Robacher Farr and Robacher Blumenauer, and it's a, um, but it only applies to medical marijuana. And so it's not a protection for adult use marijuana anyway, um, and it, it's limited. I mean, the way that it, it works in practice is that if you get arrested um, for violating federal controlled substances law, you can move to dismiss on the grounds that you are actually operating in strict compliance with a state law. And then you go to a judge, and the judge will look at it, and they'll say, they'll, they'll determine whether or not you were. And if, if you were, then they'll throw, they have the ability to throw the case out. But if you weren't, if you were out sure. in the gray area or out in the, in, the, in the illicit market, then you're not protected anyway. So it makes sense to do things right straight from the beginning. Absolutely. Yes, <laughs> compliance is critical. Now, have you seen in Maine compliance being a a big issue yet? Because I've noticed, like, when Colorado first got started, you would hear some of these kind of horror stories of individuals getting started and what have you. You later learned that operationally they may not have been as excellent as they should have been. Is that something that that we've seen here in Maine yet, or is the community fairly compliant and active in that level? I think that the majority of our medical marijuana market strives to comply. And I do agree that the it is a complicated regulatory regime that is changing. I applaud the regulators because they really are, they view themselves as being there to assist people with compliance. And of course, you know, enforcement is an important part of compliance. It's the it's the stick to the carrot. Um, but I think, I mean, one of the messages that I have to anybody transitioning to the adult use market or continuing to operate in medical is that there are lessons to be learned from Colorado. I mean, I think about the company Sweetleaf, and Sweetleaf was taking a very broad interpretation of the limitations on sale per transaction, and they were actually instructing their employees to allow people to go off camera and then come back and they could resell them the limit. That transaction was a single sale. That was a very aggressive interpretation and there were some very serious consequences for those operators. Their license was revoked, the owners of the company went to jail, and they were prohibited from participating in the market for about 15 years. Um, So compliant, I mean, and and they were one of, they were kind of a a test case. So even though we're in this space where there isn't a lot of enforcement going on, it really is my recommendation. You don't want to be the test case when they start. 100%. No, I think, that's, I think that is a great example there. Now, hearing this and obviously exploring, you know, I, I was in St. Louis for a while and I got to hear you know, some of the kind of crazy stories about, about that and how all of the people that applied to that whether they won or lost, was like, this is the, one of the fairest things that I've seen. I know that there were some operators uh, from Nevada, from Colorado, that were like, hey, we've got a really good shot there, or as good a shot as anybody else. 
is that something that's similar to Maine or are there special requirements for citizenship, residency, different things like that that people are or need to be aware of? Yeah, so there are residency requirements for um, licenses in Maine. The, the residency requirement is if you're an individual applying, you have to be a Maine resident. And Maine resident is defined as someone who's been domiciled in the state and filed income taxes in the state for the four years preceding the date in which they file their application. If you're a business entity, 51% of the owners of that business have to meet those requirements as well as all, that residency requirement as well as all the officers and directors. Um, and so there is a, it, it's a pretty robust residency requirement. There's a lot of questions right now about whether or not residency requirements uh, in the medical marijuana, or in, in marijuana regulatory regimes violate the Commerce Clause of the Constitution, and I anticipate that these may be challenged soon. Although the reality is, is that most states start out with residency requirements, and within a couple of years realize that because the legal businesses in their state don't have access to banking, that in order to raise capital that they need to grow, that they need access to money outside the, the four corners of the state. And so you see places like Colorado and Oregon repealing residency requirements. Um, Maine just rejected a bill to repeal residency requirements at a future date, but I do think that's probably inevitable. Sure, that makes sense. This definitely doesn't seem like a project that I would want to take on alone. I feel like you need a good team and you need a good organization behind you to, to really get involved in something like this. I mean, it is a highly regulated industry. So with every highly regulated industry, it, it's recommended that you have a good CPA, a good insurance provider, a good attorney. It helps to kind of check all those boxes. Well, and at the Nucleus One event in Portland, in, on Danforth Street, uh, we'll hear from a lot of individuals in those fields that will kind of help break that down. And of course, Nucleus One is great at, at helping individuals kind of sort out their, their business needs. Looking at the, the industry, and you and I talked about this a little bit, Maine has said to have produced about $111 million last year. To me, that's huge. You know, when I, when I left the state of Maine and came back, I don't know many industries that grow that quickly. Um, not that this isn't a great place to do business, but we aren't known to be the fastest at getting things done. So do those numbers surprise you, and what do you expect for the next couple years? So those numbers don't surprise me, and I think they are in part reflective of the adult use law that does require that in order to apply for and get an adult use license, you have to show a history of tax compliance over the past five years. And the state has given amnesty and allowed people to backfile taxes. And so I think what we're seeing is not a dramatic spike in revenues, because um, I think the year before reported annual revenues from the, the medical market was around $70 million, and so now we're talking about $111 million. Um, but I think what we're seeing is folks starting to kind of come into compliance um, in a way that historically they, they hadn't been. And so I, I do, I wasn't surprised, I've always thought that, you know, we were right around $100 million. Um, you know, it is anticipated, though, that the, the with the onset of the adult use market, that the medical market, we're going to see that market drop. Sure. And the last numbers that I saw from BDN Analytics was that by uh, 2022, assuming we have an adult use market come online this summer, knock on wood, um, that the adult use market is going to be around a $220 million a year market, uh, and medical is going to be uh, down around $50 million a year. 
That's incredible because it is such a beautiful state. And so we have tourists. We have a huge tourist industry as there as it is already. And so it makes sense that we would have these options for our out-of-state guests to be able to purchase and to consume recreationally. When I moved back to Maine last year, I had a medical card in Ohio. And so when I came here, at first, I was able to go and make purchases but then, you know, law changed and I was unable to. And inevitably it worked out because I got to come back home to the place that I love. And so I was able to get a medical card here. But I heard a lot of individuals and friends from New York, Massachusetts, some of those neighboring states that, you know, they maybe they did have medical cards and there was, you know, there was a challenge. And then, you know, oh, but wait, you can come back. And so it's just really confusing. And so I do you believe that the adult use market is going to just kind of remove a lot of that confusion for the consumers in terms of, okay, I can go into a store, I can make a purchase, I don't have to worry about those things. Because I feel like there's a lot of anxiety. For example, some of the some of my guests from Ohio, they were so nervous to go into a dispensary. They're like, well, I don't want to be rejected, it's embarrassing. You know, so like, then you have to call ahead. And as we know, in, in those markets, some stores might not know the law and would say yes, but nobody wants to put a retailer in that position and, and no consumer wants to be in that position if something was wrong. So will adult use kind of eliminate the confusion for customers? I think that it will for the reasons that you stated. I do think that you know we are going to continue to see a somewhat robust medical market in Maine for, for a variety of reasons. Uh, there's a lower tax rate. Um, there are folks who have built these long-standing trusted relationships with, with patients. There's good quality product being produced. Um, you can get higher concentrations in, in medical. But I do think that having an adult use store where you don't have to have a patient card, where you don't have to worry about reciprocity, does streamline the experience for a, a consumer that isn't necessarily looking for medical guidance that a caregiver would be able to provide that perhaps an adult use marijuana store would not. Sure, that makes sense. So you talked about pricing and THC content. Now, will those be different from adult use to medical? Are there, are there limits to that or just naturally the progression of those economies? Are different. No, there are regulatory limitations. So right now, under the medical market, there's a 5.5% sales tax and then an 8% tax on edibles. Um, in the adult use market, there will be an effective 20% tax on the consumer. There's an excise tax and a 10% tax, but that will look like a 20% tax to the, sure. the consumer. And then with regard to regulatory limitations on THC content, there are no limitations in the medical market. In the adult use market, um, e servings are limited to 10 milligrams of THC per serving with a maximum of 10 servings per container or okay. per um, package. Interesting. So yeah, so there's there's so much. I just I can't even imagine going into this business alone. I mean, even from a media standpoint, the laws change so much. You know, you have to have your settings on social media to a certain age bracket now, and, and all of these different things. So I'm really excited to attend this event in Portland and to hear more from you about licensing and the guidelines, and to hear from some of your colleagues and peers that will be there to talk about 280E because we know that that's a crazy issue. Um, and, and 
insurance, banking. So there'll be a lot of really great content and a lot of really amazing individuals. So be sure to check out NucleusOne.com or you can find the link at WeedBudsRadio.com. Hannah, we want to thank you so much for taking the time to join us today and to share a little bit of what we'll hear then. Absolutely, Ryan. My pleasure. Thank you. I, for one, am especially excited for this event. I love the different knowledge that Hannah brings to the table. She's extremely informed about the licensing process. Well, fun fact for you, Matt. Her team represents almost 60% of the approved applications for this new round of adult use. It's incredible. They know what they're doing, and you have to have a good team. I mean, she was mentioning that these applications with the guides and the other material that needs to go in them can be almost 300 pages long. Wow. Hannah and her team are experienced. They're going to drop a lot of knowledge on us at this event. 100%. Please be sure to heart share and retweet this episode if you enjoyed our content. Follow Hannah, follow her content, stay up to date with her journey. NucleusOne.com and go to the events, the emerging main market. We'll see you there. Until next time, puff, puff, peace. peace.